Hi, this is Deborah Holchip, editor of Michigan Today. In this episode of Listen in Michigan, my guest is U of M alumna Gail Offen, co-author of the book, Iconic Restaurants of Ann Arbor. This is not your standard where-to-eat guide. It's more like a love letter, actually, to all the savory and sensory memories generated by the local dives, diners, and pubs that define one's college experience. So whether you left your heart at the Pretzel Bell or Steve's Lunch, this book has many a tasty treat in store. Gail, as you'll soon discover, has a real thing for Pizza Bob's. <laughs> but for now, let's hear what other spots she and co-author John Milan showcase in the book. First, we take a trip to Ann Arbor's historic Old Town Tavern. So if you're ready, let's belly up to the bar with Gail. It actually started in the late 1800s. You know that factory? I don't know what it is now, near, near the Old Town, mm-hmm. a, little, a little further west. So they, they started the Old Town as a bar for when people would get off the early morning shift so they'd have a place to go have breakfast and drink, basically. And it's still a great gathering place for people, still family-run. In fact, the family that runs it actually built all the wooden booths and tables that are in the Old Town. Oh. People I know that come back to Ann Arbor, that's the one place they want their friends to meet them is at the Old Town. People associate their college time with some incredible memories. Whether you embellish them or not, it's a carefree time before the weight of the world was on you. Maybe you met some of your best friends in some of these places. Maybe you even met your future spouse in some of these places. So you always look back to us. These restaurants are iconic because they're such a part of of your memories here in college. And the incredible thing is you can come back here and a lot of them are still around. That's what people who read this book, they'll write to me and say, I can't believe the Brown Jug is still around. I can't believe Crazy Jim's is still around, even though it's in a different location. And so they instantly, it's like that, it's a memory. When you go back to a place like Dominic's and you used to sit there in the summer and hoist a glass of sangria in a mason jar, you can still go back there and do it and it all comes flooding back to you. And that's what I think is so wonderful. These things trigger great memories in us, these places. You're in your college town. You worked here for many years, too. Yeah, love it. What's your go-to place when you come back? My gosh, it depends what kind of mood I'm in and how... How many meals I can fit in in a given amount of time. I mean, maybe I'm in a mood to go to Pizza Bob's, a place where I used to work and still has the iconic chapati with that amazing orange sauce that's just want to sit and drink it like a shot by itself because it's it's it has mystical properties. And it's just that is such a great old school place to go to. But maybe you want to go right up the street to Frank's wonderful place that's like out of another era where they don't they frown on you bringing electronic in there, which is very, very rare. And you could sit at the counter and feel like you're back in the 60s again. Yeah, that connection between food and nostalgia is very strong. And there's because there's also things here that you can't get anywhere else. You know, I said the thing about the chapati or the ordering experience, which is so crazy at Crazy Jim's. There's certain things that really, when you drink them or eat them, they are quintessentially Ann Arbor. And you time travel almost. Your, right. cell, your cells go back. You have to more being... hair. <laughs> <laughs> oh, your you're wearing. Oh uh, yeah, you're you're young again. And <laughs> and there's so many places. You, luckily, there's still so many places that you can still do that. Now, iconic, pretty strong word. I mean, mm-hmm. did you have to think about that? or? Well, that's what I love. There's a debate. Your iconic may not be my iconic. Now, there's certain ones we can all agree on, like the Pretzel Bell or Drake's or the Del Rio, the ones that we have on the cover of the book, obviously Zingerman's. But then there might be some that are sort of on the bubble, and I, we love hearing from people that say, well, why didn't you put X in the book? 
And actually, Jan Langona helped us with the book, wants us to do yet another one, and there may be some more iconic restaurants that weren't even in there. Jan Langone's collection at the Hatcher, anybody can go look at it. There's boxes and boxes, and it's fascinating to just wade through all that stuff. Chefs come from all over the world to look at her. She has one of the largest oh, collections yeah. of cookbooks. Oh, yeah, I know who you're talking about, yeah. But she also has a menu collection, and it's from all over, but a lot of them are Ann Arbor menus, and those are fascinating just to look at. You like to look through that kind of stuff. Yeah, so do you like to look through that kind of stuff? <laughs> I definitely do because people think stuff that you throw away, but it someday it's going to have a place in history and tell you how people live then. Did something just give you like a visceral shock when you saw it when you were Well, digging? yeah, actually there's one in the book for Lysenne, which is one of our favorite stories because Ruth Reichel, she was the editor of Gourmet, and she was a U of M graduate, and so when she was here, she worked for this place called La Seine, which was this fancy French restaurant that only lasted a year and two weeks. That was from 1966 to 1967, and they hired the chef who was, he was trained under the guy that invented the crepe Suzette, and that was one of the menus we found for Jan that has all these uh, duck l'orange and Chateaubriand and things like that in there. So how long did it take you to decide what you were going to put on the cover? Were there some fights about yeah, that? Yeah, there were definitely some fights about that. And then some of them obviously ended up on the back cover. But we wanted <laughs> to be like option. when somebody picked up, they go, wow, I haven't seen that in a long time. And, and especially, you know, the Fleetwood and obviously Drake's. You know, when we were doing this book, people said, are you going to put in this book is, is the pretzel belt. That's, that was number one. Number two is Drake's. And number three, surprisingly, was the Wiffle Tree. And when I was talking to the owner, he said on the weekends, sometimes the line to get in would be so long, it would merge with the line getting into the old German, which was like a few blocks away. The lines would actually like, well, which line are you? And it was, for some reason, people remember the fries. There was a lot of things they did there. Whatever chemistry they had, people really always ask about the Wiffle Tree. That is an interesting point, the chemistry, because it's like what makes it an iconic restaurant? You have atmosphere, you have the people who work there, you have the food. Mm -hmm. What is it? Like, what is that alchemy? What have you sort of discovered in talking to all these people? It's play, It's Sometimes it's the food. Sometimes it's a place, like, for example, the Pretzel Bell. So many people celebrated their 21st birthday there, so it was like a rite of passage mm-hmm. kind of place. And so people would go there, and they would tell their friends to go there, and again, it was really iconic. But then I look at a place like Dominic's, and their schedule revolves around U of M. They open up in spring break, and they close the week after the last home game. So you think about it, it's mostly spring and summer year sitting outside you're with your friends and so that's the kind of thing you look back again in, in your mind's eye you can see yourself sitting there almost like a movie mm-hmm. sitting there and enjoying things with your friends so I think a lot of these gathering places are the places the people or people remember for example Drake's my mother used to study at Drake's and that was a long time ago mm-hmm. and so again you remember some of those little cozy moments where you would be in a booth at Drake's eating a grilled pecan roll and drinking a limeade and that There's no other place you could do that. And then you bring up an interesting point, being able to go someplace that your parents may have gone or your children can come to a place where you may have gone, that that connection. It's so true because I find people tell me when they come in for football games, they always go, I always go to Pizza Bots or I always go to this place. My uncle used to make donuts at the Brown Jug, and the Brown Jug actually is the longest surviving restaurant now still operating. It's been around since 1936. Hmm. So I think about that. I think about my uncle working there. I think about my mother at Drake's. I think about all these places 
that I also went to. And then you look back at some of these places, you look where Drake's is now, and, and it's a Brugger's Bagel, mm-hmm. and you go, really, nobody could save Drake's? You look back, and, and it's just, you look at some of these icons and think, why couldn't somebody have stepped in and saved them? You broke the book sort of into sections. Uh, the Legendary and Long Forgotten, Local Favorites and Student Standbys, Still Here and Going Strong. So tell me about some of the Legendary and Long Forgotten that really get people going. Well, I looked at think place like the uh, Del Rio because, again, to me, that was very much Ann Arbor where it was run like a commune or a co-op where everybody got to make decisions equally. I had a friend that worked there. And, you know, that would really hold things up, but they had a whole, in the middle of, like, their busiest time, they would hold a staff meeting to decide on whether to add a pickle to the side of a sandwich or something. It was truly Ann Arbor. It was this truly, you know, a spirit of the 60s and 70s where all decisions were made by the people. And I, and I feel like that's a real window in time of a place like that. That was a big hangout and a place that's really uh, very, very much missed. And their famous debt burger as well. Hmm. Interestingly enough, the guy that started the Del Rio, his father was the lyricist for The Wizard of Oz. He wrote all the lyrics to The Wizard of Oz. Uh, his name was Harburg, Ernie Harburg, and his father's name was Yip Harburg. And that was his connection. Sarah Moulton, uh, you know, the chef, she went to U of M. She worked at uh, Del Rio, too. So everybody has stories about the Del Rio. And another place I love to talk about is La Dog. Mm-hmm. Now, that's still open, but it's uh, one of the few places where you can get amazing soup and pl- things like cassoulet and all kinds of wonderful things. And it's all cooked from scratch. Now, that's an, that's an incredible place as well. And it's such a nondescript place. Oh, my gosh. You would have no idea that the food was that good. No, and he's got rules, too. I, that's another great Ann Arbor story. Jules, who is a wonderful man, and one of the that was one of the other great things. And to meet the people that own these places mm-hmm. and to hear the stories. And uh, he, in the, in the uh, 80s, when he was still at the location, now he doesn't have the beautiful location on Liberty anymore. It's just on Main Street. But um, they during the art fair, the people who serviced his pop machine refused to deliver, so he threw out all their equipment on the street and said, no pop ever. It's still like, right, it says, no pop ever on his, uh, in, in, in his thing. He proudly displays that. And there, another thing is he refuses to do anything about social media, and very proudly. You can't be on your cell phone. Again, you have to go up, order your soup, you know, be very specific about it. And then it, it's just, again, a wonderful experience. Somebody waited till Lobster Bisque Day, which is Friday, and put a wedding ring in the uh, cup of Lobster Bisque. And we almost, somebody almost said, I have the Heimlich maneuver, but <laughs> she did say, yeah, uh, she's like, what? She yeah. thought it was a lobster shell. Yeah, dumb idea, but, it, but it's uh, only in Ann Arbor, right? <laughs> okay, so then we have uh, local favorites and student standbys. Angelo's is one of those places that people love to come back to. The song that Dick Siegel did about Angelo's with their famous Raisin Toast is great. Mm -hmm. Another place that people may have missed when they were here and now that they maybe can afford to go to is the Gandhi Dancer. Mm -hmm. You know, people tend to forget about that, but it's so wonderful. It's in an old 1920s train station that was almost demolished, came super close like three times to being demolished, and finally was saved and has become to me what a real iconic Ann Arbor restaurant. Okay, how about still here and going strong? Zingerman's has never really gone anywhere, but mm-hmm. you know, it's funny when you're here, you don't you take a lot of places for granted, then you realize a place like Zingerman's has such national attention. And we're so lucky to have a place like that, a place that cares so much about food and has done so much for the community with food. It's celebrating its 35th anniversary. That's which amazing. is amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I also look at a place like Seva, mm-hmm. which was 
started out as a little hippie grocery store, soybean sellers it was called on Liberty Street. And then it became in that same location, one of the first vegetarian restaurants. There was this real, in the 70s, there was Indian Summer and there was Eden. There was a real, like, renaissance of vegetarian restaurants. And Sevas still survives now. It's out mm-hmm. near Nicola's on Stadium. But it still has a really loyal clientele, even though it moves. So to me, that's one of those places that students still remember, but now it still exists, even if it's somewhere else. Yeah, what's fascinating is you may miss the building, but if the food tastes the same, right on. You know, if right. Crazy Jim's still tastes the same, or if Seva's food tastes the same, then you can still go there and almost have the same experience. You know? Yeah, and, it, and the community supports it. For Crazy Jim's, they did a Kickstarter for the new location when they had to move, and people felt so strongly about it. Um, you know, but it's great to know the rules are still there. You have to order in the right order, and everybody knows that. And you're, so stressful. <laughs> I know. And then you feel sorry for the out-of-towners that are like, now let me see, what do I want? And then I look at a place like Washtenaw Dairy, which mm-hmm. is still around, that people still go to for donuts and things like that. That, to me, is another old-school place that people can still go to and have some great memories. So going back to that whole um, concept of Ann Arbor and, like, thus the – the vibe of Ann Arbor, I guess, coming through these restaurants. Like, why do you think that is? What do you think that means? Why is Ann Arbor unique? There's this place called Mods that we didn't talk about, which was a very beloved place on 4th Street. And literally all the partners that are in Zingerman's all met at Mods. And then they all, they went off to do other things, but then they all came back together to, to be the managing partners at Zingerman's. They were like dishwashers and waiters and things like that. And it's interesting to me how... These people would meet, like, the, the people that started the Main Street Ventures, Grazzi and Real Seafood and Palio, they all met working at the Gandhi Dancer. They all trained there, and then they went and started their own restaurants. So they learned from people, then they got together and formed their own restaurants, which went on to become new icons. Mm-hmm. Now you wonder, who's meeting at these places? What restaurants are they going to start, Very you know? So yeah. there's this there's this sense of community that people, it's, and there's a lot of pride in that. When you look at it, talk to a guy like Tom Hackett, who owns Afternoon Delight, and, and he's a delight, and, and uh, he, he's on his third generation of uh, people who stand in line to get into his restaurant on weekends. There's another iconic place. I mean, he's famous for his bran muffins. How many places are, how many places would you stand in line for a bran muffin? But he says it gives him such pleasure to talk to people who show, show up with their grandkids and say, here's where I used to come. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that to me is really very much Ann Arbor. It also had the first salad bar in Ann Arbor. Ah, who knew? <laughs> very nice. Good distinction. A lot of people talk about Steve's Lunch. Yeah. Steve's Lunch was one of the places that people first had Korean food. When mm-hmm. we're talking about different cultures coming to Ann Arbor, most people had not even heard of and it. And it was popular in the 70s. It was on South University. It was just a little counter hole in the wall, family-run place. And then the Village Bell, which was a cousin of the Pretzel Bell. So that right, was Right, really that popular. was a cousin of that. And, they, and the thing I put in there, they brag about how stiffly they poured their drinks, which is maybe why they went out of business. But that was a cousin of the Pretzel Bell. And also down the street there, a lot of people remember Bicycle Gyms, uh-huh. which was upstairs and was really famous for their fried mushrooms and their Yosemite Sam sandwich. And that was another iconic place where people would gather and and drink. There's a lot of bars that people iconically used to. And one of those I wanted to also mention was um, Blind Pig. Mm-hmm. It used to be this place where you could go in this basement, this very smoky basement, and you could listen to these wonderful blues players. I mean, really nationally renowned people. But the interesting thing about the food there was they didn't have a real kitchen. 
the woman who was the chef there went on to start El Dante Pasta, which oh, is yeah. a very famous pasta mm-hmm. in Whitmore Lake. Mm-hmm. It's a nationally sold Mo- Monique Deschain. Mm-hmm. And she would turn out these gourmet European uh, dishes, and all she had was a hot plate and a toaster oven. And she would make all Amazing. this stuff on, because there wasn't even a kitchen. And that to us was really iconic that you just think about a smoky place, <laughs> an old blues player sitting at the piano, and you're, it, it, it's one of the first places in Ann Arbor that served espresso. So they had a very, very cool European kind of vibe. When people came from places that didn't have what we call ethnic restaurants mm-hmm. nowadays, when I mentioned the thing about Korean, there was also Kana, which was a little hole-in-the-wall Korean restaurant, which started out up on the hill, you know, over um, by the hospital. So maybe people came from cities where, or little towns, where they didn't have an Indian restaurant, a Korean restaurant, even a Chinese restaurant. So mm-hmm. here they are coming to Ann Arbor, and they're tasting these foods for the first time. Even German food, you mm-hmm. know, Ann Arbor was really, we have, and there, again, there's still German restaurants here because it was a huge part of Ann Arbor's heritage. And so this was maybe... an exciting for people who had never had this kind of food before. You have a lot of great photography in the book as well. The Hatcher Library with Jan Langone lent us a lot of the pictures in the book, and Susan Weinberg, whose collection is at the Burton, lent us a lot of that as well. And then some of them we got from the Ann Arbor News, so we got them from all over. But, you know, they don't even have to be exotic. When you look at a place like DeLong's Barbecue Pit, which was really iconic for a lot of people because it was one of the few places that delivered really late at night for students. And a lot of people talk about that. Uh, That was from 1964, and it went on for 37 years. Well, And then, of course, Pizza Bob's, which, you know, I used to make uh, triple-thick milkshakes for Mm. stoners at 2 in the morning. I'm still so proud of that. It's interesting. The restaurants are just a peg on which you've hung this bigger story. This connection and this love for Ann Arbor and the University of Michigan. And I hope that this book will encourage people to make that trip back to Ann Arbor and and go back to some of these places and be pleasantly surprised and be able to relive some of these things again. Okay, the pressure's on. Where are you going to go when you return to town? Gail would love to hear, so go to facebook.com slash Ann Arbor Restaurants. And if you'd like to hear other episodes of Listen in Michigan, go to the Michigan Today homepage, michigantoday.umich.edu. We can also be found at TuneIn and iTunes. Just look for Listen In, Michigan. All right, thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next month. As always, go blue, and congratulations to the class of 2017. I'm out of here. I'm going to Pizza Bob's.